Hi, I'm Colleen McNamara, and you're listening to my dad on All Marine Radio on the All Warrior Radio Network. Joining me on this Monday morning is, uh, from the other side of the Pacific, is uh, Grant Newsham. Grant, mm-hmm. good evening, good morning, good whatever the hell you are. Um, yeah. What are we, uh, we're about, what, nine hours apart? Eight hours apart? I think it's nine-ish, eight or nine. I think it's nine. So, yeah, you're, I think so. Yeah, you're bouncing back and forth and... The rest of the world doesn't change. <laughs> In terms of daylight saving time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, um, somebody asked me a question, and uh, maybe you could answer. Uh, is it appropriate? What is the appropriate use of Taipei? What is the appropriate use of Taiwan? Oh, Taipei is just the capital city. Uh, so that's like saying Washington. Uh, Taiwan is the, uh, the country. Um, I've just offended 1.4 billion Chinese people, of course, but it's the country. And Formosa is the island. Um, So sometimes people will sort of use the three sort of interchangeably. Uh, but the that's the the basic distinction. Got it. Got it. Pretty simple stuff if you're but but again, we don't um, you will see them used sometimes interchangeably. Formosa, Taiwan, Taipei, blah 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 blah. So, uh, interesting. Now, I had somebody else ask me a few weeks ago, um, does Grant live there now? I mean, I, I think for a while you lived in Hawaii. Um, mm-hmm. and, and have you relocated to live in, in Taiwan now? Or, or is it well, just, just for work? I'm just stuck. Yeah, I'm stuck. No, I, I don't live. Uh, uh, I, I'm a, a man of the world. So I don't, uh, you know, I don't know where I actually live. But that's I won't be here forever. Got it. Got it. Um and the primary uh, advantage of uh, living in Taiwan that you would tell people is what? Oh, it's exotic. You know, if you were uh, um, what you call it, uh, a liberal arts graduate, you know, and you grow up watching Davy Crockett movies and stuff and, uh, you know, reading Terry and the Pirates. You know, it's, you know, it's, as I say, it's, it's exotic and, and they are nice people. You know, it's not like living in Brooklyn where people are gratuitously, um, uh, sort of uh, rude, but they're, they're you know, it's, it's hard to characterize uh, say an entire people, but I think, you know, that you do notice just there's a sort of cheerfulness that, with the Taiwanese that you can actually pick them out, you know, amongst uh, Chinese people overseas. You know, when you see a group of Chinesey looking tourists, you can almost always pick out the, the Taiwanese. Uh, so it's, you know, you combine those two things and it is really cheap actually by by our standards. So that's also got something it has going for it. Cheap is always a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. All right. All right. The, um, now, I want to talk to you about um, one I'll spring on you and ask it, it's an opinion question, but there's um, I wanted to have you on um, the head of the Indo-PACOM, the outgoing head of the Indo-PACOM, 
uh, Admiral Phil Davidson, who's been in the news nonstop, it seems like, for what the last few years, given the McCain, mm -hmm. the Fitzgerald collisions. Uh, he was a part of all of that. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, and then becomes head of uh, the first head of Indo-PACOM. And uh, now he's outgoing. And he had some very interesting things to say. So I want to ask you about that. I want to also ask you about a meeting uh, that was held virtually this past week and uh, the symbolism of the meeting between the presidents of Australia, Japan, India, and the United States. And But I, I want to talk about uh, much in the news, right, um, here in the United States is a uh, talk show host from Fox by the name of Tucker Carlson. And he made some comments about the Chinese military becoming more masculine and the uh, um, American military is worried about things like maternity, you know, uh, uh, maternity clothes or, or uniforms for Air Force pilots, blah, blah, blah. And, and I don't want to get into his comments, you know, disparaging whoever that he tried to use an example. But I will say this. There has been a discussion in the United States military for a long time um, the, about focusing on all things other than war fighting, while um, our adversaries don't seem to do that. And I just wondered if you have a perspective on that. Uh, it's not a new argument in the American military. Um, it is inflamed by you know it 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 being aimed at women now. Um, but uh, but I, I'm curious if you have a. Um, I mean, you're in the you're in the middle. Literally in the middle of, uh, of 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 observing the United States from afar a bit, and then uh, observing China from across the uh, Taiwan Straits. So, any thoughts on that? Um, America's, you know, it was Marines United uh, a few years ago, which was this terrible thing of picture sharing. But it turns out it's, you know, a very small percentage of um, of Marines. And uh, and with a with a fairly significant portion of that number already out of the Marine Corps, um, and so but these things blow up, and they're helped along by social media and the American media, and then they kind of uh, they run their course and they go away. I mean, if you remember the urination stuff with scout snipers and the pictures of that, uh, the much ado about the SS um, a tattoo that scout snipers would wear. And, you know, taking, um, uh, you know, a page out of the German SS. Well, the sad truth is that most American kids don't know shit about World War II, let alone anything about the German SS. If you ask most of those Marines, they were like, yeah, it's like the, the band Kiss, the SS at the end of that. Yeah, that's, they're, it's fucking cool. And if you were to query that, query them about well, do you know it has like historical link to the SS? Or they'd look at you and go, "What? I don't know what you're talking about, man." And which is a sad reality. But these things take on a life of their own. Um, this discussion, though, of uh, of the American military being um, focused on things other than war fighting, I guess, doesn't matter a whole lot when. You know your your adversaries are always inferior, 
And you know that at worst, you're going to do what we've just done in Afghanistan, which is kill a lot of them, go sideways for a long time and then leave. Um, you know, and, and essentially the same thing with Iraq. You don't really achieve your phase four objectives. But, you know, if that's as bad as it gets, then, you know, come on, that's manageable. But when you're talking about peer-to-peer competition, it's a little bit different case. And so I wonder, do you have a perspective uh, about uh, about all of this? Oh boy, well, I suppose anyone who's like, you know, could fog up a glass, you know, who's breathing has a perspective. And, you know, I do too. It, um, you know, I'll notice, I'll just, there's a few things. You know, one is, you know, you'd mentioned Admiral Davison's comments, uh, before in Washington, including before the Senate Armed Service Committee. And I notice it's about, what, 40-some pages. Uh, but there's two pages. One of them is about um, rooting out extremism in the force, and the other is about oh, sexual harassment and the like. That's two whole pages. But I, I've read the whole thing, and I never noticed the part that uh, addresses the, the fact that the Chinese can put 10 ships out in the region for every one weekend, or that American Navy or U.S. Navy anti-ship cruise missiles are outranged by Chinese cruise missiles uh, by at least 60 miles. And the Chinese ones are um, supersonic. Ours are not. Uh, the, it probably could have spared a couple pages on those points. But so that's sort of one thing. But the, the other is, you know, really nothing matters other than winning wars. You know, nothing. It, it, you know, we've had the good fortune of never having lost one and having you know, suffered just immense casualties nor been occupied by an enemy. Uh, we face that prospect now. Uh, and I say nothing else matters. And it's sort of a, the, you know, yeah, you know, people should not be boorish or do stupid things, of course. But the when the, there's, you know, the whole the only thing that, you know, we need to be able to do is to defeat our enemies or to make them know that they will lose and that they won't take us on. And anything else that distracts from that is a distraction. And if we feel good about, you know, sort of these social justice matters, uh, but we can't win wars, you know, we're in trouble. You know, I would say, you know, the, and, and I don't, haven't noticed, and I'll just throw this in, that the, you know, I've looked at it over the last 15, 20 years, you look at our military ruling class, and it doesn't seem like anyone really cares that we have not succeeded in the the big campaigns we've been in. And these are against people who wear turbans and loincloths, for crying out loud. Uh, but we, you know, which general officer has been relieved for not producing? Uh, I can't think of it. Which one got an end of tour award, an upward promotion? I can think of all of them. Um you know, and whereas you look at World War II, when it started after about nine months, that almost none of the guys who had been generals at the beginning were still around. You know, they had gotten guys who could fight and win. And so we've, you know, I think we've really lost focus as to what what really matters. And that's a concern. You know, in some ways, you know, we, uh, you know, I'm reminded of, say, what I imagine the Army of Northern Virginia Veterans Association at, um, you know, say in 1885, getting together and talking about how, well, we whooped them Yankees at Chancellorsville and we whooped them Yankees at Fredericksburg. And then you could have some Yankees say, well, yes, but who won the war? Well, we whooped them Yankees and any one, you know, Southern Cavalier is the equivalent of 10 Yankees. Well, who won the war? 
And that's kind of what we've become, you know, a lot of backslapping and legions of merits and meritorious service awards, but we haven't won anything. And it's not because of, you know, any lack of effort or lack of skill at the, I'd call it the working class level, um, but rather at the, you know, at that very top level, 06 and above, where they are responsible for, for winning our nation's wars and nothing else matters. And if you know, any of them think that we are not focusing on that or able to do it and, and that we're being distracted, uh, that I think that they should publicly resign and go public about it. But I haven't noticed a great a rush for the exits to be able to do that. So, I, yeah, I am concerned. You know, you don't like to see stupid things, but at the same time, nothing else matters more than, than winning a war. And it's not an equal opportunity uh, sort of employment agency. You know, but rather it's, you know, people who join for one thing only, and that's to uh, do what's necessary to win. Uh, but I think we've, you know, lost sight. It's a certain level we've lost sight of that. Uh, and that is, that is troubling. And again, this is not a, this is not a discussion about women in the American military. The, the subjects oh, not are, at all. Right. The subjects oh, well, are, are, could, are no. yeah, are, 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 are much broader than that. And, um, and and so I think the people that, that that aren't serious about the defense of the nation, you know, will spring to the, the defense of women or or whoever, you know. But um, but if it's a it's a discussion about readiness and what makes you ready and what makes you better, and what makes you more formidable, then to me, you know, that's the discussion that, that we don't want to have. And, and again, I think you're it's interesting that you that you respond with uh, with part of a another question that we're going to discuss, which is Admiral Davidson, but you know he doesn't talk about those things. But what does he talk about? You know the things that he, as a general officer, believes he has to talk about, which are what diversity, okay, uh, which is extremism, and so those are the things he believes he has to talk about. And I think that is the issue that many people see. As, as the one that is is causing ships at sea to run into other ships, to not be able to navigate at sea because we don't have time to block and tackle anymore because we're doing all this other all these other things that are not essential tasks to war fighting. And so th- this is not a new discussion and it will and it's a, it's an important discussion and it will be hijacked, I think, by, you know, the framing it in terms of, you know, women's maternity flight suits or some whatever the hell he put up there. But the discussion is a serious discussion about the focus of the American military on war fighting. And uh, so anyway, I thought I would get your comments yeah. about that. Oh, yeah. You know, you've you actually at the, the French military at the turn of the 19th century, 20th century, well, the end of the 1800s, beginning of the 1900s had something similar. Uh, it wasn't um, sort of involving, you know, you know, women in the military, but it was uh, sort of uh, what you call it, um, progressives versus reactionaries uh, in the military. And it was, uh, you know, these progressives basically took it over and the French military got you know, slaughtered when World War One started. But it's a very interesting bit of history. Nobody's really remembers it very much. Uh, but we're not the first military to go through this, and right. you know. But 
you know, look at the cost, you know, and you're, you're lucky if you still have a country at the end of it. Uh, so this is this is a serious thing. And, you know, I I wonder at the, the ruling class levels if anybody really cares. Well, I here's what here's hesitate. Hate to say, it. you know, I think you'll find this interesting because you're a, a man of letters. Um, I had the honor to be Martin Van Krevel's um, escort in, two th- in 1992. Uh, he showed up in Quantico in May. I was just leaving IOC, and Major John Allen, who would become General John Allen later, said, Mac, would you serve as, you know, Dr. Van Krevel's escort down to Camp Lejeune? And, uh, you know, he's got to go speak down there and then uh, and then bring him back. You know, it's about a two and a half day trip. I said, sir, if that's what you want me to do. I'd be happy to. Um, he said, I think you'd find it interesting to be able to spend that much time alone with Dr. Ben Krebel. I said, well, I'd love to. So it was an interesting conversation. I, I you know, it, it, uh, on the way down, um, I asked him, you know, I think I think Dr. Ben Krebel's family is from the Netherlands. And he left there when he was a child after the war. And one of the questions I asked him is, is Dr. Brian Krevel, I, I, I hope you take this the right way. And, and, but I, I have a question I, that I've never really been able to ask somebody who's as informed as you are. And that is, why was there never no Jewish uprising in Europe in World War II at no point? And um, I'll just give you, his short answer was, it is our eternal shame. It is our eternal shame, the shame of my father and his generation. And, uh, you know, he said in Israel, you will hear the, term, the, the phrase never again. And that's what that is referring to, that we'll never lie down and, and, and be abused like that. And, and to the tune of six million, you know, Jews, you know. And so um, and so it, it was uh, it was interesting. But, you know, while we were driving down, he said to me, he said, you Americans, you're like a big fat sow. And I said, I beg your pardon. And now we had been on the road for maybe four hours. He said, do you realize how many times we could have traversed Israel in this period of time? He said, you know, you are, you have this incredible system of government that you've been, that you've given the world. And, but unique as, as unique as your system of government is, is, your geographic location. He said, he said, I don't know that there's a nation on the planet that enjoys a more favored geographic location in terms of insulating itself from adversaries. You have two gigantic bodies of waters on your eastern and western flank, and you have friendly neighbors to your north and your south. He said, you have no idea when we talk about the Golan he said, you have no idea what we're even talking about. You can't even conceive it. And so I, I think I think you're right, Grant. When you say, you know, are they worried about it? I don't it's 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 a theoretical discussion to most. Right? And and that never ends that tends not to end well. Um you know, in history. And to me, Wall Street is more than happy to deliver the tools that China needs, right, to to usurp the rules-based order that has dominated the world since World War II. Wall Street is more than happy to. And, and if you don't have a union of free nations 
that will stand up for that rules-based order and, oh, by the way, have the military that can back it up, it is simply a question of time, right, till you will become China's, you know, China's lapdog. And I, but I, and I agree with you. I don't think people care, though, that much in this country because it's just a theoretical discussion. Yeah, I think there are plenty of people who do, but at the level where it matters, you know, there's in any society, there's only a certain number of people who, whose opinions really matter, that, that you don't see any real concern over that, or you don't see much. And, and I would say even in the military, uh, you know, now people are getting religion a little bit, but I think a lot of that is they just smell the next hot thing, the way counterinsurgency experts all came out of the woodwork in 2001. Uh but they go on to the next next hot thing. But the you know I, the the idea that you know we the the fix that we are in I don't think people understand just how much trouble that that we face, and you know it, you know we've never lost a you know we don't we say we've never lost a war but we've um, older people you know who've been around who remember you know there's not many of them remember what it was like at the beginning of World War Two, you know when you. You know, you have to surrender in Bataan and Corregidor goes under. And it looks like the Germans and the Japanese are just running wild. The U.S. Navy ships are going under, you know, one after another. And I don't think you know, those people, I think, have a sense of just how, you know, precarious things can get. But everyone, anyone who's sort of growing up since then or particularly in, say, the last 30, 40 years, I don't think they have any sense uh, of the, the sort of the risks that we face uh, these days, and and as you noted, that that whole Wall Street sort of business crowd, uh, you know, as long as they can, you know, get 20 million in the bank, and that be a guy who isn't really applying himself, uh, I don't think they they really care all that much. There's any any number of rationalizations uh, you can make. So this is a an interesting time. Uh, you know, we're not the first people to go through this, but it's maybe natural for a, a civilization to reach a certain stage, a certain success and sort of uh, lassitude that that they um, uh, sort of let themselves go insane. You know, but there, there are obviously we're having this conversation. There's no shortage of people who do understand it. But, you know, you wish that, you know, having you know watched it, you know, say in the Pacific for so long, that I do wish that there had been more top-level officers who spoke out loudly about this. Uh, there, there were no shortage of ones who understood the problem and some who really did their best. Uh, but in general, that's unfortunately, more often than not, there was a don't make waves, go along to get along and uh, just get that ne- get out of here and get that next promotion was pretty much the, the way you looked at it. That was, I think it was looked at. I'm reminded of, uh, I have friends that take General Neller to task, uh, who's a friend of mine, um, for, I believe it is Senator Kristen Gillibrand during the Marines United Senate Armed Service Committee hearings. And and General Neller's job as a commandant was to go up there, right, say that he would fix it and take their face shots. And that's what he did. And I remember when she said to him, I believe it was her that said to this, um, General Neller, this is, is this, I, I, I don't know if she phrased it as a question, but she said, this is one of the darkest days in Marine Corps history, <laughs> right? And, you know, I have friends that, that are, are still rip shit at him 
for not saying, well, Senator, look, this is certainly a day that, that I'm not happy to be here. And it certainly not doesn't doesn't cover the Marine Corps in any glory. But I'm confident at the end that we will find this extremely small number of Marines. We will take corrective action. But when you when I think of dark days, uh, the things that come to mind, you know, in my head are the building and coming down in Beirut, um, the evacuation of the embassy at the end of the Vietnam War, the Vietnam War itself, 58,000 people, many of those Marines. And, you know, yet he didn't say any of that. And, and, and you know, his defenders would say, look, all he would do is just make it worse. And so, but at some point, I think one of the maladies of the Department of Defense is that at what point do you absolve everybody? Nobody came home and said, you know, we don't have enough guys in, 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 in Iraq. They didn't say that. The people that came that came <laughs> home and should have said it while still, still on active duty, you know, they did not say that. You know, who are the people that put their stars on the table and says, I quit if you expand the ground war in, in, in Afghanistan? Where were those guys? And the answer is the, the, the road to all these disasters is paved by the flag officers and the general officers of the United States military. And, and, and so if it's okay not to mention in Admiral Davidson comment, you know, that we're outgunned in terms of long-range missiles, that we are outnumbered today, right? We're outnumbered today in terms of ships, right? And we want to play inside their weapons engagement zone. And, and, and that's not even mentioned, but extremism and diversity are. And and you and and we see this throughout, and and Vietnam, if I if I if I push you into a corner, Grant, and I say win or lose, what do you tell me about Vietnam? Oh, we lost. Okay. Well, we whooped them Yankees. Well, right. We them what? Yeah, what well, win or lose uh, was Lebanon? Yeah, no, I, was Lebanon yeah. a win or a lo- loss? Well, we whooped them Yankees. We lost. Okay, that's zero for two. Somalia, a win or a, lo- a lose? Lost. All right. That's 0 for 3. That's 0 and 3. I'm like a Washington Senators fan. I, no, I, well, it's depressing that we're not able mm-hmm. to, to wield the, the, the elements of national power. We cannot achieve, use them in a concerted way to achieve the desired end state of the you know president of the United States, the leaders of the, of the United States of America. Iraq, right? Are we now 0 and 4? Well, not really. So we're O three and question mark. Afghanistan, right? We're O three and two question marks. We're O probably three and a half to the loss and a question mark. I mean that's not good. And 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 one of the things that's constant throughout is is the general officers and flag officers who don't stand up there and tell the truth and say this is wrong. And so and so this this discussion that's broken out around you know, flight suits and his, you know, he, he did himself a disservice um, because it's a substantive argument that needs to be had in this country about, you know, what the United States military is putting emphasis on. And um, I mean, I, you know, consider this, there's more American troops in Washington, D.C. tonight than there is in Afghanistan. By about two, by about double the number. That's what our priorities are, and nobody's going to stand up and say this is wrong. 
And so, and so again, I think, you know, I would take Tucker Carlson to task because, you know, his point is a valid one and needs to be taken up and discussed. Um, and I don't know, maybe they're smarter than I am as media people that by using, um, a picture of a pregnant military member that they would inflame the discussion. And that's really what you need to do. So I don't know, maybe they're smarter than I am, but I think there's a substantive discussion to be had about emphasis, about standards and and, and a whole variety of other things and capability and where the direction you're going. Um, and we won't have that discussion because, um, because we'll be discussing flight suits or some other shit. Yeah, it's a, it's a distraction, and you know, you you just knew that you know as soon as he opened his mouth that he was going to be savaged. Uh, you know, carrying on to you know this convert topic, you know they you know read a little history, and you know, I was always impressed with General Stilwell, um, you know, who at the beginning of World War II was sort of in charge in charge of U.S. forces in Burma, such as they were, and they they got you know driven out of Burma, were lucky to get out alive. And when he came out, you know, he uh, said, you know, this isn't humiliating as hell. I think we should find out what happened and and uh, go back and retake the place. But with us, you know, it's while we whoop them Yankees, you know, we instead of saying you know, this is a humiliating that we could not be, you know, the, the Iraqis and the Taliban, I uh, say we figure out what happened and don't do it again. And, um, you know, the. You know, I would like to have seen O.P. Smith, uh, General General Smith, the, the commander at the Chosin Reservoir, or uh, General Barrow, you know, those gentlemen in front of Congress. I think that would have been uh, that would be on YouTube for the next hundred years. I think they would have responded differently. Uh, so it's, you know, one you know hesitates to, you know, tar everybody in a certain class as being um, a certain type. But, you know, there's there's plenty of, you know, there are plenty of good uh, people around, but at the same time, you know, we do have to have to produce. Uh, and you know, I asked. I remember when Rumsfeld was uh, secre- then Secretary of Defense, Donald Rumsfeld was. Remember, he was bullying, you know, flag officers right and left, and at the Pentagon. I remember asking a, a flag officer, a Marine flag officer, of whom I think very, very highly, uh, that uh, you know, what? Why didn't any of these guys take him on? And I recall he said, "Well, you know." They they want promoted, and I was thinking you know, how much if you're a three or four star exactly how much more promoting do you want? Uh, but it you know it's human nature at work. But it you know if somebody had uh, you know stood up to Rumsfeld, you know we might have avoided some trouble down the road. And it's the trouble generally gets paid for by as we have noted before, lance corporals and sailors and airmen, etc. Uh, so it's, you know, it's a conundrum. Got it. Got it. Well, let's turn our attention to, uh, Admiral Davidson and his comments. Um, he, uh, he got a lot of people's attention, um, this week and, uh, talking about the disparity in the Indo-Pacific region. Uh, so you had a chance to take a look at his comments. Um, what stood out most to you in his comments? Um, you know, I, you know, I only read the his statement uh, that he submitted, which is, I think, what he talks from, and then he answers questions. But, um, you know, I was a couple of things that, that struck me was just how what a fix we're in. Uh, that you know he's um, he uses really convoluted language to say to really to basically say the 
the Chinese are better than us in certain areas and could could probably defeat us uh, in certain circumstances unless we do this, this, and this. And you know, if he would use plain language, it would be kind of scary. And I wish he had, but it is, um, you know, as I say, it's convoluted language. I would just cite, cite you know, uh, cite one one um, little paragraph that's sort of funny. He, he writes uh, at the beginning, in 2019, I reported to this committee we had lost a quantitative advantage and our qualitative advantage was shrinking across several domains as the People's Liberation Army fields higher quality systems. So you mean uh, they're like better than us? Uh, it, it's, you say, I wish he had used plainer language, um, but that's you know, neither, well, it, it is here nor there. Um, it is here and there, but it, uh, so that's one thing that really struck wait, me. Wait, wait, re, re, read that again. In 2000, you know, yeah, if you have to read it again, it's right. written in, you know, Phoenician. In 2019, I reported to this committee we had lost a quantitative advantage and our qualitative advantage was shrinking across several domains as the People's Liberation Army fields higher quality systems. And did he did he go on to say, I've come back to tell you that the number of domains that that we still have a qualitative advantage in has further shrunk in the last 12 months? No, he really doesn't. It, that you know, you, that's what you wanted to hear was the some specifics, and I, right. you know, presumably there's a classified version of this or, or such like. But for the, you know, the, where he does get into that, um, and there's also some charts I gather that are floating around which have a comparison between, I think it's 1999 and today, and then played out to uh, what 2025 or so, of um, the Chinese ability to influence the region. And in 1999, it goes about up to the first island chain, about as far as Japan and the Philippines. And today, it's way out by the second island chain. I'm not, shouldn't be laughing, but, um, and it's 2025, it goes, going to go even farther. Um, and one thing, so you're, you know, he, he does describe in, in some depth the, uh, the, the threats posed by the uh, the PRC, the People's Liberation Army, and once you get to the last part of the of the brief, so he does. I say they do make a pretty good case as to how much trouble we're in, um, and, and then you you do sort of ask yourself, um, well, one question is how did we get here? You know, didn't you know how it isn't like it happened yesterday, nor even just a few years ago. You know what what was being done to address this? Um, I suppose it's further proof that leprechauns exist because no human appears to be responsible for it. Um, one does recall the uh, the then PACOM commander in about 2015, sort of 16 or so, jokingly referring to Chinese submarines as Model Ts, while Americans had Ferraris as their submarines. And is that condescension uh, towards China and Chinese and their capabilities, which I think has partly contributed to this. Um, so it, say that's one thing that, that did strike me was the, um, the 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 difficult, dangerous, precarious situation we find ourselves in, where putting it simply, the other guys could beat us uh, in certain settings, certain circumstances. Uh, and then the second thing that, that and, really and, struck and oh me, by the way, oh, the tr the trend line is for in certain circumstances, in certain cases, the trend line in that column is that that number is growing over time, yes? 
yeah, you know, the, the Chinese, you know, just that figure that you often hear is they, um, you know, they're producing four ships for every one we launch, and they're going to keep doing this, and maybe even more uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, they, you know, and they're just the, the, out, the, the overmatch, if you say, and part of those charts that I saw, it does include like the depictions of ships and aircraft, etc. And the Chinese have a whole lot more than we have uh, in the region. And even if we were to bring everything from around the world, they'd still have a whole lot of stuff. It would be, uh, it's not as if we suddenly outnumber them by huge numbers at all. Uh, so that's, you know, and I say it does give a, you know, it, you know, it, if you read the whole thing, it does give you a pretty good, they do a, I think actually under the, a pretty good um, job of correct, you know, calling the PRC our biggest strategic threat. Uh, and there is some, some good detail into, into that threat. Uh, the, the second thing that, that he mentions is the, um, you know, he calls for, uh, you know, putting in sort of in place a system of long range weapons and radars and sensors throughout the region uh, that allows us to do to the Chinese what they can do to us. And, you know, you are sort of saying, well, you mean we don't already have that or isn't it well underway? And it doesn't appear to be um, as near as I can tell. And, and there's also a call for uh, dispersal, you know, putting U.S. sort of resources, units, people, weapons, etc., all around the region, you, know, you want to spread them out. And that raises a question, and it is, well, where can you put them today? Um, the short answer is not very many places at all. And that, too, raises a question, well, you know, we've been doing engagement for 50, 60 years, and we don't have anyone who will let us set up shop, in, even in peacetime, with an eye towards being able to deter, take on the Chinese if necessary. Uh, so that raises some questions as well. So you, well, uh, you know, I, you and I have spoken before, but I've expressed this opinion, and I'll say it again right here. I think Donald Trump's great failings, uh, you know, one of his great—I I think it's his greatest failing—and it was a huge American strategic failing, and that is when the Trans-Pacific Partnership was kicked to the curb. And he said, I, I, I'm a fan of bilateral uh, economic agreements that we did not make great bilateral agreements with Vietnam, with the Philippines, Malaysia, and whoever else in the region we would identify as key strategic partners. If, if you want my, Mike McNamara's opinion on, on job number one for the Biden administration, it is that. Whatever deal that China has given all those countries – you have to go make a better deal for it, and you have to you have to get Western Europe to do the same thing. Western Europe and the United States have four times the GDP that China has, and we have to use that, and we have to use yeah, that. And, 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 and Grant, and as you and I have talked, you know, it's a completely different equation, as you were just leading to, right, is if we can be ashore in the Philippines, if we can be ashore in Vietnam, if we can be ashore in Malaysia, completely different equation. But we're not. And we haven't done the, the economic groundwork to create the economic ties that open military doors that would be open naturally to us. And it is, I don't know, head scratching if I'm being kind. And if I'm not being kind, it's, it's, um, it's you know, to quote H.R. McMaster, it's dereliction of your duty. I mean, there is, give me another path other than being economically engaged in the region 
right? As as a as a Western rules based society uh, group with these nations, you have to do that. Yeah, you know, and I've, I've been, you know, you know, kind of little. Not, I wouldn't call it mean, but you know, they you do have to keep in mind that it's uh, that I think Admiral Davidson understands, you know, the situation. Uh, very well, right. and at Paycom, you know, they, they are Indo Paycom. Um, you know, I've been around it for a long, long time, not a whole lot recently, but I'm familiar with it. And there's always been within there plenty of people who really understand the situation. And they've even had some guys at the very top, uh, say, particularly back when Admiral Willard was there, uh, say, who really knew it and did a good job. Uh, so I think Admiral Davidson really understands the, the situation we're in and also what needs, I th- well, probably what needs done as well. Uh, but, it's, but it's not, so it's not just the military. And, and there are things I think we haven't done well, but militarily, but I think the, it's not entirely the military's fault. You know, when you get to that uh, question of where are you going to put these long range missiles, where are you going to put the radars? Um, it's not, you know, the military can only do so much. And you have to realize that in most of these countries, I think Thailand and um, Indonesia are probably the only exceptions, the real exceptions. The military has almost no influence with the civilian leadership, civilian government. So you can have all the key leader engagements you want. You can, you know, get lots of miles out of your private jet and collect lots of trinkets and have nice meetings. But it does very little, actually, to shape uh, the civilian leadership thinking in those countries. And I don't think they've quite, there are people who understand it, but I'm not sure the right people have. Um, And that's where, so somebody has to be responsible for greasing the kids so that we can get positioned as we need to be around the the region. And I would suggest the State Department uh, has a role there. And if, you know, either you can get into a place or you can't. And I think the the U.S. ambassador in Palau uh, recently has done an excellent job uh, he's. I presume he deserves a whole lot of credit for having gotten us uh, an invitation from the government of Palau to set up bases there. Um, about 10 years ago, the U.S. ambassador in East Timor did, also did an excellent job, um, so to say, greasing things if we had taken advantage of it. Um, but in general, in the foreign service, it's not you know the the young or even the older officer who's made, looking to make a name for himself. It's not like he's angling for that billet in uh, Pompeii, you know, Micronesia, he, and, as opposed to, say, Vienna, where the, the coffee shop lifestyle is uh, a little more attractive. Uh, so there's, it isn't entirely the, the military that's to, to blame for the situation that we're in. Uh, and Congress has an oversight responsibility, and why didn't they do something about it? Uh, so, so I just want you know to you know this all takes place in a larger context, and also there's a you know how how is well, the and again US... Grant the problem is not only why didn't they do something about it, they're they're actively engaged right in in this trade imbalance that until the guy from you know Queen shows up everybody's good with. You know when yeah. when Donald Trump, yeah. my favorite is is when Donald Trump you know, is talking about slapping tariffs on Chinese products because we have this $350 billion trade imbalance where we can't sell cars into there and with all those things that we can't do in there. Orrin Hatch, a, a, a conservative, right, says, well, you know, I'm a free trader. 
Like, Orrin, do you think that's free trade? And those are the people that not only are they not doing the right thing, <laughs> they're actively engaged in, in, in exporting American industry to China. And, and you look at it, Grant, and you're just like, you got to be kidding me. That's what, we, that's what we've been doing. Honestly, that's what we've been doing in a, for the last 50 years. We've been playing fantasy with, with the senior Bush. Like, ah, oh, the more, you know, the more they, we embrace them, the sooner they will become a liberal, socialist, whatever. Yeah. We've all, we all yeah. know now that that, that that did not, that fruit did not come to bear. Uh, it, did not, it, not, it did not blossom on the tree. And so now we're faced with a different reality. And so, so let me ask you this. The general tone of Admiral Davidson's um, uh, remarks. And, and first of all, his remarks were to who? The, uh, the, the Senate Armed Services Committee. Uh, and this is essentially yeah. his outgoing visit with them, yes? I th- yeah, uh-huh. he won't be around much longer. I think he leaves before the summer. So. Right, right, right. So, um, so uh, do you think he sounded a serious enough alarm in the open open setting um to to tell everybody you know um that you know again we got passed up in 2019 on qual- quantity right and we're being um we're being passed relative to quality as well as i sit here today and utter these words. I mean, in, in, in reading into his remarks, do you think that his remarks were serious enough, were grave enough to, to elicit the appropriate response from the American Senate? No. Um, you know, they, Senate, if Senate staffers are your target, you know, maybe they already know the situation, some of them. But no, you know, I think plainer language would have been would have been better. You know, and so I took some notes when I was reading and I said, you know, I wish he'd asked a corporal to read this uh, before submitting it. Like Napoleon used to say, like, he, right. it's always good to have a corporal read the orders. Um, you know, this, and I'll just throw this out just it's so just because it's, um, you know, so interesting, the language that was used, the um, the and I'm going to read it to you. And, you know, you tell me what it means um, without thinking about it. And okay. it regards the, the joint fires network. Okay, and here goes. The desired end state is a combined joint integrated environment where ubiquitous battle management and automated engagement decision making using standard target track quality control functions and a joint force approach for managing weapons resources can occur. I have to go look up ubiquitous. Right. And then once I get back from ubiquitous, I can... uh... I can kind of say you want us all to play together and to be able to shoot each other's targets. Is that what you mean? But no, you're right. No, you're right. I I think there's a gift. There's a gift to doing this. If you're serious about conveying um, the gravity of a situation and, and, and speaking like that. And again, I know this from what I do relative to talking about trauma. If you know, um, people say, "Why do you use so much profanity when you when you talk to young Marines?" And my response is, "I communicate on their frequency. That's why it's as, that's why it's as impactful 
as it is. So we all know how much Marines love mental health. So when I stand up at the start of this thing, that's going to be three and a half hours, that they're absolutely pissed that they have to be at and say this, hey, I'm here to tell you the truth. And if you don't like it, I don't give a fuck. That is one of the great attention gainers of all time. Let me tell you. Why? Because they never hear that. And they sure as hell don't hear that about mental health. And so, so when I get asked that question, the reason I speak in those sessions where I speak is because that's their language. I'm broadcasting on their frequency because guess what? They're what's fucking important, not some colonel or general sitting in the son of a bitch. I'm not worried about them, although maybe I should be, but I'm not. I'm worried about those 18 to 26-year-olds that will form over 60% of the audience, right? And they're the ones that do the living and dying. They're the ones that are committing suicide for the most part, right? And, and they're the ones who it's projected to. And so when I hear that boilerplate bullshit, it's like you're not serious about changing anything, right? You're just, uh, I mean, and truth be told, he's got millions of dollars in front of him. Yay, Grant? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They've, um, yeah, you know, I just no, 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 no. He's yeah. got hundreds of millions of dollars in front of him. Oh, there's plenty of resources out there. You know, he's, um, <laughs> uh, you know, and particularly, you know, if you you're guilty of the same people, crime by saying there's plenty of resources out there. Well, what I mean is that the, you know, say you want to get, you know, the ability to put some missile systems into a country, you know, you could probably get that, you know, send the right captains and majors and give them a budget of about 20,000 bucks and you could probably have them go in and create enough goodwill in a country with the right people that you'd find it, you had access. Um, a lot of these things don't require a whole lot of money, you know, when it comes to this person to person sort of the, the influencing uh, that mar- young mar- you know, Marines are so good at, you know, particularly the younger ones. Uh, th- that's what I'm getting at. You know, he's got the resources for a lot of what he needs. Um, what he is specifically asking for is, I think it's like 27 billion over five years right. or so, which in the grand scheme of things is not much money. It's ironic that he's having to fight for it, uh, given that, you know, the, you know, the, the comparable program for Europe is passed without any trouble. Uh, and the amount of money, as I said, given what Congress is throwing around these days for things that are of dubious value, uh, that it's unfortunate that the Admiral has to really dig for it. But the, um, it did cross my mind that, you know, even suppose that, say, a, a genie like said, OK, you can have all the money you need and you will you can have, you know, this network of, you know, weapon, you know, missiles and sensors throughout the region um, or, or that 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 might not even be enough. You know, the, oh, I would guarantee yeah. you, here, here's what would happen, Grant. We would overreach in terms of technology. We would ultimately get half the fucking platforms, right? And then th- those we wouldn't be able to, you know, maintain. I mean, have you seen the the chair of the, Senate, the House Armed Service Committee's comments about the F-35? Mm-hmm. Yep. They, uh, Are you shitting you know, me? Just... We, we yeah. need to stop throwing money down that yeah. hole? <laughs> Holy yeah. smokes. Yeah, you know, it did, you know, it did cross my mind that, um, you know, they throw out $27 billion or whatever it is, and the, uh, well, the, the defense industry, the, the contractors must be, you know, salivating oh. over that. Now, they'll make it disappear pretty quickly, but you can do it. So you, you can do an awful lot, you know, if you send the right captains and majors and young Marines, um, and that costs you almost nothing. 
So right. there, there is a lot, but the but also as long as you know, as we said many times on the show, is you know, he could do all this stuff, and it, and it you know just magically appears. But if uh, if Wall Street and American business continue to pour money and technology and jobs into China to prop them up, that anything the military does is probably not going to be successful. Uh, and that's something that, that, that needs addressed, uh, obviously. Um, you, especially when you're thinking about how did it, you know, why couldn't we have gotten more done quicker? So we're not you know, so far behind. And you know, I noticed that in you know, the, the Admiral's covers, he goes by country by country. And he mentions that the governor, government of East Timor um, requested co-development of um, Baokao of an airfield, which um, which um, it kind of overlooks the fact that they offered us even more ten years ago. But the um, but anyway, with this specific airfield, this is what the testimony says. Uh, let's see here. Oh yeah, we have this offer. Well, they, this is what they they've gotten this offer from the government of East Timor to co-develop uh, an airfield down in Timor, and the to date funding for project scoping. Approval and global training and equipment has been allocated to support the completion of minor improvements. You know, you could give this mission to a, a cap, an engineer captain, have them go down with an engineer company or platoon, and they'd fix, they'd have things in order in weeks, if if not days. And yet, this is the fastest we can go. You know, they, I, you know, we don't take advantage of opportunities fast enough. I would suggest, and. You know that's probably been a, an issue forever, but right. you know you do see the the problem, and it's there's no shortage of people at Paycom or in you know who under who under who don't who understand this problem, but and within the operating forces, there's plenty of people who would rather do this than say have to plan the next change of command ceremony. Uh, so we we have a hard time taking advantage of these opportunities that you you need in order to get yourself positioned around. Uh, around the region, um, and oh, I know, I know that I'm going to be told. Well, you don't understand. We do like 5,006 engagement, you know, activities throughout the year, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, and I think they note in the case of Singapore, it's uh, what did they say here. It was really, a, it was a good one. They um, uh, mentioned doing 400 visitor engaged, distinguished visit, visitor engagements. Oh, no, I'm sorry. With an average of 300 distinguished visitor engagements taking place annually. Well, okay, well, because <laughs> you're doing a lot doesn't mean you're producing. Um, and is that, you know, is, so that I, is that a version of the body count? Oh, it's yeah, it's not as right. bloody, or, but it's or the yeah, number kinda, of or the number of drone strikes hit drone strike hits in CENTCOM. That's that's pretty yeah. irrelevant. We whacked another one. Yeah. Thank God those drones are there. And then what impact will that have? Oh well, nothing. Somebody else will will just take that person's spot, and 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 the same shit will go on. Oh, okay. So the, is this a big deal or not? No, it's not. Only if you're a rube, it, it will be. I want to play a version of this or that. Okay, <laughs> with you. Okay. All right. Okay. So, which will happen first? Okay. This. The U.S. allies, the U.S. and its allies, will extend their military might in terms of numbers and quality systems to reach a position of stalemate with China or 
that China will dominate Taiwan. This or that. Well, Which one of those do you has, think has a better chance of happening? That, you know, if, um, was, if I was betting my own money on it, it'd definitely be with that. With that, uh, which is China yeah. will dominate Taiwan before the United States and its allies get their shit together and extend and to the their military. That, right. Yeah. And the, to the point we would find it just too hard to try and intervene. Right. Um, right. right. You know, if we don't wake up pretty quickly or pull a rabbit out of our hat. All right. Let me ask you about the significance of uh, President Biden uh, and the meeting between India, uh, uh, Japan, and Australia. Um, is that, uh, is that serious? Is it a step in the right direction? Um, how do you view that? And how does the Pacific Rim view that? I think it's, um, probably it's like the first step up a 10 rung ladder. Uh, you know, you got to take that first step. And I think if they make something of it, uh, you know, real political, economic, uh, military cooperation, uh, that, you know, that, um, what you call it, it sends a message to uh, people around the region that Americans and, and these uh, substantial countries, the, the Indians, the Australians, and the Japanese are serious, uh, that it potentially is a good thing. It, it's, you know, so it's early, but, um, and particularly when you can, if you can somehow harness the economic and financial uh, resources of these countries, um, that it is a, it, it's um, as important as getting the military part right. Uh, so I think it's a good first step. But once again, there's a lot of distractions, domestic uh, in particular, and then there's just the, the sheer difficulty of um, getting stuff done. If, if the, you know, we'll, we'll see. You know, one wishes, as I've said before, that, you know, one wishes the, the Biden administration will succeed. I would note at this point, and I don't want to be mean, but if the uh, the fight was over, who could write the best uh, lovingly crafted uh, sort of expression of concern or statement of concern or an article in Foreign Policy magazine, I think we'd win in a landslide. But when you actually get down and have to produce something and you have to take on the Chinese, particularly diplomatically, uh, politically on the political warfare front, that that's a, a tough challenge. Uh, so, you know, they you know, say it's the, this is the, the first step and you know, hopefully you know, getting this kind of sort of this uh, collection of the sort of the key nations in Asia and hopefully bring a few others along once they see that, you know, one, we, we can do things right. And they what they did do recently, just the other day was, I think it's the Japanese and the Americans are going to pay for the Indians to produce a lot more vaccines. And then the Australians will distribute it through Southeast Asia and beyond. And that's a good, it's not a military thing, but it has a, there's a big psychological political effect to that. Oh. And it's a good way to harness resources and capabilities. And it shows what can be done. You know, so I, I think one, you know, one really wants this to succeed. You know, the you know, the last thing I want is to have to, uh, you know, start studying Mandarin um, so I can speak to our new masters. And even if I can say, well, I told you. Well, let me tell you, uh, you know, you're the one, you're, hey, so if I could give you some linguistic advice, since you're the one that chose that, then you ought to choose that. And you ought to, you ought to start, um, you ought to, you ought to subscribe. What's that, uh, uh, language speaking service? I can't remember. Rosetta Stone is one of them, but that's not yeah. the one I'm thinking of. 
All right. Um, give me a good book to read on uh, on the Pacific Rim. Got one? Oh boy, I was thinking of one just the other day, um, but I can't remember it. Um, I'm, oh goodness, yeah, because there's been a, a couple good ones. The um, well, the one I'm writing, of course. But of the, course. Uh, I think. Oh my goodness, uh, I can't. Let me get back to you. Okay. Uh, but uh, I think I've mentioned him before. But John Pomfret, who used to be a uh, uh, Washington Post reporter in China, he wrote a good book just a few years ago about sort of you know, China stuff. Uh, and and how do Pomfret? Uh, P O M F R E T. Uh, John Pomfret. John Pomfret. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he wrote a good one. Wrote a book uh, called "The Beautiful Country." Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. All right. Published yeah, he, in uh, 2016, mm-hmm. and he also wrote a, a book called um, "Chinese Lessons: Five Classmates and the Story of the New China." Um, so he's uh, written those two, and let's see, "The Beautiful Country and the Middle Kingdom: America and China, 1776 to the Present." You know, it may be more than you know, a longer scope than you want, but some, I've sometimes knowing a little, reading a little history can be a. a good thing. <laughs> uh, but you know, I've been, um, you know, before. I do want to. I want to note that you know, I was you know, a little uh, harsh on you know the the admiral's testimony, but there there's some I say there's some good stuff in here as well, and you know I note a couple because you know, he so he does get across just how if you stick with the testimony, just how serious the. Chinese threat is, but also, you know, it's worth keeping in mind that uh, the Americans moved pretty quickly. A couple of years ago in New Guinea, when the Chinese were sniffing around an island base at a place called Manus Island, and the Americans and the Australians got in there quickly. I think the uh, the Trump, the National Security Council guys had something to do with that. But Pekong, you know, I'm sure was deeply involved in it. Uh, also in Fiji, the the, Chinese, the Black Rock training base was the Chinese just about had it, and once again the Americans got in there. Uh, so they, you know, they they do, you know, there's a lot of good stuff, you know, that, that gets done. There's a lot of stuff, but the, um, you know, say there's more that can be done to actually get us into more places and to get, you know, countries that will will fight with us. Uh, that will lean our way. Um, and also the, the paper does a good job. It, it mentions the fentanyl uh, problem where the Chinese are importing this fentanyl, the, the dangerous, the deadly drug um, into the U.S. and killing 50,000 Americans and upwards a year and have been for a few years now. Um, but it, they do mention this and that's a, it was an important thing. So, um, you know, they, you know, I've, they'd have... Um, you did get the impression they were getting paid by the word to write this thing, but they, but there, I say there is some good stuff in there, and there's there's a lot to work with, um, but the, there's also some some things where um, there, there's opportunity to excel. All right, sir. Well, first of all, uh, I certainly attribute, uh, I'd certainly appreciate um, uh, your candor. And uh, as always, and again, these aren't easy questions and, and the questions aren't either black or white. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the key to most of this is you got to be really, really good in the gray area. And if you're not good in the gray area, then you're going to see that to somebody else. And, uh, and so 
So we discuss oh, these things, and it's mm-hmm. uh, that's why I enjoy the footnotes and the nuance of the discussions with you. And uh, like I always say, you've uh, made me smarter about the Pacific Rim uh, than any other uh, uh, educational vehicle I have. So I always appreciate our conversation, Grant. And uh, and again, but well, but, mm-hmm. but but what, what, one last thing sure. before I forget. Right. Um, I was as we were you were talking, I thought of another book. Okay. okay. So this is, in fact, the, this one is a, is a good one. Uh, it's written by a, a, a woman who's a political science professor at University of Miami. And she knows Japan and China really well. And her name is Professor June uh, Teufel, I think, T-U-E-F-E-L, uh, Dreyer, D-R-E-Y-E-R. And she wrote a book just a couple of years ago uh, on the Japan and China. And this would be one that I would uh, highly recommend um, um, picking up and, and reading. Um, so, but if you if you look her up, that'll... Uh, the and book will come up. Her name is June Dreyer, like June, and then uh, last name's Dreyer, D R E Y E R. So she wrote a good book that got a nice reward, a uh, nice award as well. That's a good one. June Teufel, T E U mm-hmm. Dreyer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is a professor of political science at the University of Miami, Coral Gables, Florida, where she teaches courses on U.S.-China defense policy and international relations. Um, her most recent book is called The Middle Kingdom and Empire of the Rising Sun, Sino-Japanese Relations, Past and Present. She wrote a book called China's Political System in 1993. Uh, she wrote Contemporary Tibet Politics. Uh, contemporary, I think that's what it is. Contemporary Tibet Politics, Development and Society in a Disputed Region in 2005. Um, in 2000, she wrote The PLA and the Kosovo Conflict. Hmm, very interesting. So yeah, anything, she, yeah, she's like the old E.F. Hutton, where <laughs> if you remember the, uh, if E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. If you can find any, and she's written, writes um, sort of a shorter stuff uh, as well, like articles, etc. If you can find any of those, those uh, are always uh, concise and informative. Got it. So June Teufel, T-E-U-F-E-L, Dreyer, D-R-E-Y-E-R. All right, sir. Thank mm-hmm. you very much for the conversation. I appreciate it. A pleasure. It's always glad to uh, weigh in. And I, generally, I probably offend half an audience in the first 20 minutes and then the other half in the next 20. So I probably succeeded today. Now, you know, look, I don't think you first of all, you're an articulate man. So so I think uh, the discussion, I don't think they leave too sore. And uh, and I think you footnote your arguments well enough uh, that even those who want to play the emperor's new clothes have a difficult time playing that game, um, but it is a favorite game of the United States. Uh, we'll just pretend like it's that way and nothing okay. to see here. So even those who would, who would want to play that, I think you offer enough evidence or footnotes that, uh, that you make it difficult for them. So uh, that's why I appreciate the conversation. So thank you. Okay, well, thanks. We and we whoop them Yankees. So. <laughs> Always. Hey, yeah, and, okay. and you know, and again, we never lost a battle in Vietnam, right? Well, we whooped them Vietnam, Vietnamese, the Viet Cong, but yeah, well, who uh, 
who was there at the end of the day. Yeah. So, yeah. anyway. No. no, and it's a sad lament. And the same thing could be said in Iraq. We never lost a fight in, in, in Iraq. You know, where we were, I mean, we, we ruled the day, you know. And so, and so it goes. Yeah. So, anyway. All right, Grant, thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks a lot. Always enjoy it. All right, see you. That'll do it on a Monday. Grant Newsham. Yeah, the Tucker Carlson thing. Um, there's a interesting discussion to be had there. Not the one the nation currently is having. Um, and so... The Mensa brothers and I will take that up. So, um, but again, um, Grant, always interesting, interesting guest to have on. And I thank him, as always, for coming on. So, uh, tomorrow you're going to hear Betty Rogers talk about uh, a documentary, their second documentary, Ken and Betty's second documentary. They made Bravo Common Men Uncommon Valor. If you haven't listened to Ken Rogers' interview last week, um, please do. And the interview with Betty is every bit as good as the one I did last week with Ken. Maybe better. So, um, yeah, you'll hear Betty Rogers tomorrow. And um, thank you very much on this uh, Monday for listening. Have a great day. Don't be afraid to go out and change somebody's life. And if I can do anything to help you change somebody's life, trying to uh, take them from trauma to joy, please don't hesitate to uh, reach out. I'd be more than happy to. So on this Monday, I am out.